Welcome to the podcast of Word to Life, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. For over a decade each week on Sirius XM, the Dominican friars of the province of St. Joseph have presented a sacred scripture and liturgy made simple for today's complicated world. If you want to listen to more of Word to Life, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Fridays, 1 p.m. Eastern, to the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM Salvation arrives by way of the family, the Holy Family. The household of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph became a home away from home for the eternal Son of God. It was an outpost of heaven, an image of the Trinity in the world. We may say, said St. Francis de Sales, that the Holy Family was a Trinity on earth, which in a certain way represented the Blessed Trinity itself. Jesus is, of course, the son common to both families. Joseph, in his relationship with Jesus, was an earthly image of the Heavenly Father. Mary, who conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, became the very image of the Spirit in the world. So God took his place in a human family and invited you and me to find our place as well. He made a home for us in the church, a people, said St. Cyprian in the third century, made one with the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our homes, too, our Christian homes, also share in this awesome gift of Christmas. Pope Benedict expressed that in the strongest terms I can imagine. Quote, God has chosen to reveal himself by being born into a human family, and the human family thus became an icon of God. God is the Trinity. He is a communion of love. So is the family, despite all the differences that exist between the mystery of God and his human creature, an expression that reflects the unfathomable mystery of God as love. The human family, in a certain sense, is an icon of the Trinity because of its interpersonal love and the fruitfulness of this love." We are created for the sake of love. When we experience love and family life, it is heavenly, but it is still only an image of the greater glory we hope to behold in heaven. And again, from the book, Joy to the World by Dr. Scott Hahn, how Christ's second coming changed everything and still does as we get ready to celebrate on this edition of Word to Life in the Christmas season now that we are finding ourselves in Holy Family Sunday. And with that, let us pray the opening prayer for the Mass on Holy Family Sunday. 
O God, who are pleased to give us the shining example of the Holy Family, graciously grant that we may imitate them in practicing the virtues of family life and in the bonds of charity. And so, in the joy of your house, delight one day in eternal rewards. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. It is the Christmas season. I hope these days have been festive and bright uh, as we have welcomed and celebrated our dear Savior's birth. Father John Maria Devaney of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph coming to you for this edition of Word to Life uh, during this octave day, this octave days, if you will, of Christmas. Now, it is uh, December 27th. Uh, happens to be the Feast of St. John the Evangelist, who I uh, I look to as my patron. My mother told me I was baptized uh, in, in his uh, uh, patronage. So I'm very grateful for that. But also it is the Christmas season, these days to celebrate. I hope you did not take that tree down. As some people get sick of their tree because they put it up November 26th and they take it down December 26th. So these are the days to enter into the great Christmas season, which actually will last through the baptism of the Lord on January 12th. So wait till the 13th if you so choose. And then of course, if you're very old and traditional, you'll wait till candle mass to take down that tree and decorations. <laughs> Absolutely. Delighted to welcome back into the studio for um, this uh, Christmas uh, season broadcast, Dr. Scott Hahn. Uh, it's been a great uh, gift to have Joy to the World to quote from, so welcome back and a Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, Father John. It is such a delight to be with you again. Yes, so this is actually uh, more and more as the years go on in our modern times, the family, the family, the family. My favorite quote from Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I'll tell you, as I've, uh, you know, I, my work, I'm, I'm usually with families in, in the worst of their times with sickness and dying in my hospital work. However, though, um, when I have gotten the, I've been a priest almost five years now, and uh, when I've had the opportunity, maybe about half a dozen times or so, uh, to prepare couples for marriage, it is so clear to me. All the power in the world is between mom, dad, the kids, and that. It's all there. It's all there. I mean, I can just see it. I can, and I encourage the couples to say, "Hey, this is it." But sadly, of course, in our day and age, uh, and and due to many factors, which I know we'll probably sprinkle into a, a couple or a few of them on the broadcast, the family is not in good shape right now. Sadly, no. The the family is under assault. It's it's taken some hard hits. There's no doubt about it. But this has been going on, not for decades, but centuries. Hmm. You know, and so when we take a step back and look at it, we have to recognize that despite all of the testimony of postmodernism, the family is not reducible to the biological unit of your origin. It's not just about the power of the par parents wielded over the kids. It's also not reducible to a kind of sociological construct, the way that a lot of professors would make it seem. You know, when you look at the psychological context of the family, you can see the single most formative influence on individuals by far and away. I mean, Freud, the founder of modern psychology, saw the Oedipal complex in terms of the father figure. Carl Jung, his disciple, saw the archetype of the mother. Alfred Adler, another student of Freud, saw it all about sibling relations. So we can see the convergence of these three founding fathers of psychology all kind of gesturing towards what they knew they couldn't understand. Because it's not just the biological or the sociological or the psychological. It really originates in eternity where fatherhood is found and sonship as well. And the interpersonal communion of the Holy Spirit is not just a force. It is a face. It's more than a power. It's the third person. We don't yet know much about the Holy Spirit, but we do know 
that this is a family. As Pope St. John Paul II said famously, and I quote him in Joy to the World, God in his deepest mystery is not a solitude, but a family. And, and a why? community. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because he has fatherhood and sonship in the essence of the family, which is the communion of persons in the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say that God is like a family. God is one. You know, like I was one when I was single. But now that I'm one with Kimberly and the two became one 40 years ago, and now we have six kids, 18 grandkids, you know, from the first three, the next two are in the seminary studying to become priests, spiritual fathers, and my and my oldest is now a professor of scripture, you know. But it isn't the case that I emphasize the family because of my family. I would say it's the other way around. I have experienced the grace and the medicine of mercy in my own body, my soul, in my marriage, because I found in the Word of God, through the help of the Spirit of God, the heart of reality is the family. Mm. You know, it's the outpost of heaven for the Son of God on earth. But, you know, the fact is we're we're tempted to ask Jesus or just God the Father, look, if Jesus came to redeem the world, why was he sitting around waiting for 30 years, you know? Get on with redemption. And then it was like his ministry was the length of a car lease, 36 months. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so we were tempted to think, you know, if you have been preparing the way for thousands of years with hundreds of oracles from all of the law and the prophets, you know, why bide your time for 30 years when, in fact, the world stands in need of redemption? So get on with the work. I think our Lord would say, I was. Because it's not reducible to the three years of public ministry, the teaching, the healing, the suffering, the dying, and the rising. That certainly is the peak of Mount Everest. But Everest is an entire mountain. And so the whole life of Christ was to redeem us, but not just from sin, but for family. In fact, the Hebrew word for redeemer, goel, is not just someone who redeems you from bondage or slavery. It's one who brings you back home because the Goel is the kinsman redeemer who brings you back into the family. So we tend to reduce redemption to what we're redeemed from, sin, damnation, hell, and judgment. And if that's all it is, that's pretty good news. (laughs) But to be redeemed from sin, to share in divine sonship, that's almost too good to be true unless it's the truth, and it is the gospel truth. So the Father sends the Son to give us the spirit of sonship so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And it's sort of like, you know, we've heard it all of our lives, but we haven't heard it too much. We've pondered it too little. We almost need to defamiliarize ourselves with this in order to come back to it and look at it in terms of the religious revolution and the history of world religions that it really was. Because even Jesus' fellow Jewish contemporaries were kind of stunned by the fact that he would speak of God as his father. You hear this in John 5. You know. Oh, it got him in trouble. It did, too. Yeah. yeah. He heals on the Sabbath, and when they ask him why, it's because my father's working still. The next verse says, this is why they sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he claimed that God was his father, making himself equal to God. Mm. And there really is something that goes beyond the metaphorical. We can speak of how God is a father to, you know, all of the animals and to all of the humans, but that is metaphorical. It's a figure of speech. You know, God is a father to Jesus from all eternity. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man in Jesus Christ, but there aren't two persons, there's one. And he unites what is ours, human nature, to what is his, divine nature, because that's the great exchange, to take what is ours for the purpose of giving us what is his. So the unthinkable is not only thinkable, it is a deed that is done by the divine. And it's like, God, you know, this almost seems to be beneath your dignity. And I think God wants to say, 
as a father, this is my dignity. You know, you might think, oh, it's beyond, you know, I've got galaxies to sustain. Who am I, who am I to, <laughs> to care about human beings? Sure, you know? yeah. But when we re- reflect upon God, galaxies are basically the same size as subatomic particles to one who is infinite. Amen. So to stoop down to us in our weakness and our brokenness is the dignity of the Father revealed in the Son by the power of the Spirit. This is what Christmas is all about. So what is God doing to redeem us? He is living family life like it had never been lived in all of salvation history. Yeah, And that's why I think it's wonderful that the church takes this Sunday at this time, the Christmas season, yeah. to celebrate the Holy Family. Amen. And uh, why don't we do this? Uh, if you're just joining us, by the way, Sirius XM 129 on the Catholic Channel, it's Word to Life. Our guest here is Dr. Scott Hahn. Uh, by the way, online at Saint, that's stpaulcenter.com uh, if you'd like to find out some more things he's been up to in, in the good resources there. But let's get into the first reading uh, from the book of Sirach. Uh, And uh, Scott, I'd be honored uh, if you'd be willing to share the first reading. Sure. This is one of my favorite books, and it's one of those books that I didn't have when I was a Protestant pastor. (laughs) (laughs) So a reading from Sirach chapter 3. God sets a father in honor over his children, a mother's authority he confirms over her sons. Whoever honors his father atones for sins and preserves himself from them. When he prays, he is heard. He stores up riches who reveres his mother. Whoever honors his father is gladdened by children, and when he prays, is heard. Whoever reveres his father will live a long life. He who obeys his father brings comfort to his mother. My son, take care of your father when he is old. Grieve him not as long as he lives. Even if his mind fail, be considerate of him. Revile him not all the days of his life. Kindness to a father will not be forgotten. Firmly planted against the debt of your sins, a house raised in justice to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, it's funny, Scott. I uh, I see, obviously, I deal with a lot of broken families as a priest. And um, also, I see in our day and age, especially here in New York, um, the kids are maybe only two or three. Uh, they're living in California. They're living in Texas, and mom or dad is here, uh, you know, thousands of miles away. And maybe by God's grace and mercy, they have the resources to have, you know, skilled nursing care or home health aides, or perhaps even in a nursing home. But there's this this distance between families, and I often see sometimes I think with a few, or maybe the families who have a little more means. I say this especially here when I see some of the older people pushed around uh, on the upper east side of our neighborhood. I said, if you paid someone to push your children around while they were young, don't be surprised if they pay someone to push you around while you're old. But in our day and age, um, this relationship, as we get from our Jewish heritage of God, the mother and father, and then blessings of life. I mean, this is, isn't it classically said that this is one of the few promises in in the scriptures about whoever honors mother and father will have a long life? That's what Paul says in yeah, Ephesians yeah, 5. That's right. It's the thank first you. I'm sorry. Or the promise. Please. So let's unpack that because there's such richness here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in Ephesians 5, Paul gives us instructions about marriage and family life. Mm-hmm parenthood and children, and the obligations and duties that we owe to each other. And let's remind ourselves of sort of what should be obvious, and that is every family is dysfunctional. Every family has brokenness. You know, for 40 years I have been married, and for 37 years I've been parenting. Nothing has brought me more fulfillment than fathering, but nothing has brought me more frustration 
than fathering. You know, in looking at my six kids, every person at every period of their lives, I have felt inadequate, if not like a failure. You know, I am cast upon our Lord, who is my father and theirs. You know, when we reflect upon the the notion of marriage as covenant, and in the New Testament, Christ elevates it to one of the seven sacraments. It's important to remember that a sacrament is not some ritual we perform for God to do us, you know, to do what we want. It's really, it is God doing it for us to make up for what I lack, to give me what I need and what my wife needs for me, whether I have it or not, and, he provides it. And I'm glad you said that because this is something we touched on last week when we did our broadcast talking about the Christmas readings, Christmas Day readings. Um, I found that I've seen so many people now, we're delaying marriage. Uh, we're getting married at older uh, dates than we had even as of 50 years ago. People, I think the average age is 28 or 29 now. Um, also too, with the rise in cohabitation, lengthy engagement, uh, frankly, too, I'll say it, premarital sex, there's a lot of difficulty, confusion, and lack of commitment going into it or fear and trepidation. Well, you know, my parents got divorced and, uh, you know, because of the quickie divorce laws of the last 50 years in this country, or no-fault divorce, shall I say. Um, so you hear this all the time, and I have it in my encounters. Well, I, I don't want to get it wrong, or I'm not ready yet, or we're going to uh, live together and get to know each other. So there's all this fear and trepidation, the lack of trust. Trust. And we talked about this last week ever so briefly. We want to unpack it this week that no, in actuality, if you live it out according to God's laws, desires, plans, grace, love, and mercy in our weakness, then you said not only will he call you to this, but then he'll give you the grace to do it. That's right. Yeah. He, he doesn't call us because we are self-made men and women who are just so intrinsically qualified. No, <laughs> he calls us knowing that we're not qualified so that he will be the one to qualify, me and Kimberly. And as, as I said, you know, when we look back, when we got married, we were 21. What were our parents thinking? You know, I'm reminded of what a priest told me one time when his bishop came by to, to perform confirmation. He wanted I want to show off the kids. He had trained them well, he thought, in Scripture and the sacraments. And so he asked the kids, you know, what did Jesus teach about marriage? And a little girl raised her hand and said, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> and the priest said, no. And the bishop said, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might share something with you. Um, now, due to many factors, with the delay in marriage compared to times of before, um, you know, women are going to college, uh, there's longer times in uh, education, also people entering the workforce, longer courtships. Also, too, a truth be told, and we'll say this for another broadcast, I've seen quite often a lack of maturity in men uh, in post-college years to accept such responsibility or to have the wisdom to enter into it. Uh, even myself, I, I can say that I, you know, I didn't hear the call of Christ to the priesthood clearly till I was about 28 or 29. I look at my post-college life, even though you know I was a practicing Catholic, I didn't have the maturity. Uh, uh, you know, I, and God's timing is perfect. But I will share this with you: when I have prepared younger couples for marriage, uh, people in their mid-20s who know pretty much after college, maybe met in college, uh, know she's the one, he's the one, compared to when I've prepared a few couples who are in their later 30s, early 40s, and maybe who even, dare I say, lived together for a while, 
Um, there are t- the big difference I see is this younger couple is going to mature together and encounter things about life together as a family, That's as a right. unit. Whereas with all due respect, I know love and marriage and God's timing can happen at any time, especially people who genuinely and desire to be married in the church with all the graces that come with that sacrament. Uh, you are a little more set in your ways the older you get, you know, and uh, and and so I do see, uh, you know, an advantage to to being married younger. I'm, I'm not going to lie, and you have frankly the energy to run around with the kids, you know, but right. um, but I, I do see that in our day and age, if I may. Yeah. yeah, well, once you recognize that every family has some dysfunction, greater or lesser, you recognize that all the kids are going to carry in their souls sorrows, if not scars. And, and so they're going to be a little bit afraid. They're going to be inadequate. They're going to be ill-prepared. And I would say this, that if you wait until you're really ready to get married, you're going to be single for the rest of your life Amen. or yes. you're going to be deluding yourself when you finally try it. Yeah, good point. Because there's an old line, the farmer who waits for perfect weather never plants anything. That's right. Yeah. And so we're not being called because we've qualified ourselves. God is going to qualify us because we are humble and obedient to accept that call. And so what we discover in the, in the process is we learn more from our mistakes, at least I do. Kimberly made her share. Sure. You know, I know that nobody has brought me more happiness than her. Nobody has brought me more frustration. <laughs> and I have brought her happiness, she says, and I'm sure I have brought her 10 times more frustration for sure. her than she has given to me. You know, and so through 40 years, God has been faithful and has enabled us to be faithful in spite of all of our weaknesses. Mm. And in the process to raise our kids and to feel inadequate at every point. And to, I, I think that the greatest thing I can do for my kids is to show respect and affection to their mom. They seem to eat it up. And I know I don't become any less for that. Sure. And then that uh, that echoes through the rest of the relationships in the family. Now, one other thing I want to bring up from this reading, then we'll go to break, get yep. to the second reading. By the way, if you're just joining us, Sirius XM 120 on the Catholic Channel, uh, Word to Life here. Merry Christmas to you. We're talking about Holy Family Sunday. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn is the guest here. We've been uh, actually having some excerpts from his book over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's been with us, Joy to the World, How Christ's Coming Changed Everything and Still Does. Um, I want to hit this note before we go to break and, and get into the second reading for this Sunday. The notion, uh, well, actually, um, he's now servant of God. Uh, Father Peyton, Patrick Peyton, famously said the the family that prays together stays together, you know, and uh, all his work of promoting the family rosary. Um, so this notion that we hear in Sirach, when he prays, he is heard. And that's said twice. Um, and let me ask you this. So the correlation of taking care of mom and dad, as Sirach exhorts us to do, but also then the relation of that then to your prayer being heard by God. Yeah, at one level, we're probably tempted to see, wow, this guy is really cool and virtuous. <laughs> at another level, we have to recognize this is a debt of justice and one that is never fully repaid because no. you can't give back your parents' That's right. life. Aquinas says that. And the other one, the first is God, second That's is right. your parents. And believe it or not, the third for Aquinas, the debt of justice, is your country. That's right. Yeah. Patria, yeah. patriotism. Yeah. And so these are the highest debts of justice that are in a certain sense irreparable. But at the same time, you strive to show your parents respect. Yeah. And why? Because in a sense, they're living icons of God's fatherhood. That's right. And the, the church is our mother, the Blessed Virgin as well. And so when God gives us fathers, he does so so that we can come to know him for who he really is. When he gives us fathers with failings and flaws, which he does for all of us, 
I mean, except for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact is, the, the flaws of our parents are what lead us to see father figures and coaches and priests and teachers, but they're all like rungs in a ladder by which we climb and ascend to see that God is the only perfect father. He gives us true fathers who love us better or worse, but ultimately they're all signs that point beyond themselves to him. And so how we treat our fathers in a certain sense is how we repay to God the debt that we owe him. It's a debt of gratitude and not just justice, but it's also you died to forgive me. The least I can do is to forgive my parents. Amen. And I'll I'll share that and I'll give you this note before we go to break. When I hear confessions of people who uh, will share with me, we get to the fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father. And they said, you know, there was a period where I didn't talk to my father for 10 years or he really wronged the family. But as he got older and sicker, um, we actually made peace and, and I was able to take care of him. I brought him into my home or I would go to him. Oh, those are so edifying, so beautiful. And um, you see the ability of the child to forgive the father for any injustices, any wrongdoings. And what's that then? Just uh, nothing but the echo of the mercy that we're receiving from God, our father. Amen. So, And I used to joke with my dad as he had his Parkinson's and he failed in his last uh, few years of life. I said, Dad, don't worry, you'll only get rigor mortis one time. <laughs> All right, we'll go to break. It's Sirius XM 129 on the Catholic Channel. Merry Christmas to you. Scott Hahn in the studio father john devaney with you we're talking about holy family sunday we'll come back and now we'll get it and when we come back we'll talk about this uh reading from uh, colossians because it always kind of gets a bad rap i think mm-hmm. and it shouldn't have to but we'll save that for after the break stick with us here on the catholic channel thank you for listening to the podcast of word to life with the dominican friars of the province of saint joseph courtesy of the catholic channel on sirius xm 129 if you want to hear the full show every week subscribe to sirius xm and tune in on fridays 1 p.m eastern to the catholic channel on sirius xm 129